This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Another beautiful day here in the Northeast. We're supposed to hit 90 degrees. I know for a lot of you down south or out west, it's probably not that unusual this time of year, but 90 degrees on, uh, they're talking about it on Wednesday, so it'd be the 19th of May, have a 90-degree weather. Oh, good Lord. Uh, but the plants are loving it. I'm loving it, and it beats shoveling anything. So anyway, uh, lots to get to this morning. Obviously, a lot of baseball over the weekend. Uh, we have the end of the NBA regular season, so the play-in uh, rounds will start this week. Uh, NHL hockey, some great games over the weekend. We had overtimes everywhere in the NHL. Uh, so plenty to talk about. I want to start this morning uh, with something we didn't have a chance to talk about, something that broke well, on uh, the weekend, and that is Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols on Friday night came to an agreement to sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the future Hall of Famer who, of course, was released by the Angels last week, uh, a guy that is in the final year of a huge contract that's paying him $30 million a year. He sat on waivers for 10 days. Of course, no one was going to pick him up because no one's going to pick up $30 million. So as soon as his uh, time on waivers expired and the Angels were officially on the hook for the remainder of that $30 bucks, uh, he was free to sign with other teams, and he signed with the Dodgers so he doesn't have to move. I mean, he was already living in the Los Angeles area playing for uh, the Angels, so now he doesn't have to move. And this is a this is great. Look, and there's a lot of people, like, pissed about it. And they're like, I don't, and I don't understand that. People are like, well, why don't you just retire? Why don't you shut up? You know, this guy uh, has the right, uh, after the great career that he has had, to go out on his terms when he wants, uh, how he wants, and it's nobody else's business. You know, so for those of you that are saying he should just retire and or those of you that are pissed off, Get over it. He's one of the classiest guys ever to play Major League Baseball and one of the greatest to ever play Major League Baseball. He has the right to do this. But what's great about this, talk about an FU to the Angels' ownership. This is the part I love the best. The Angels are so wrapped up in wanting to be part of the Los Angeles culture. Remember, they used to be, remember they used to be the California Angels. Then they were the Anaheim Angels. Well, then Artie Moreno, the owner, decided he wanted a piece of that Los Angeles market. So now they are the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, which is the dumbest freaking thing ever. That's like uh, calling a, a team from Middletown, Connecticut, for those of you not familiar. I mean, it's a small state, but it'd be like calling, you know, the Middletown Angels of Hartford because Hartford happens to be 10 miles up the road. I mean, it's just dumb. But having said that, Artie Moreno is 
you know, big time into wanting that Los Angeles market and to have one of the greatest stars in the history of Major League Baseball leave your team and go to the team that you want to be or that that city that you want to be and say, I'm now going to play with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, it is poetic justice. It's a beautiful thing. And look, I don't blame the Angels for doing what they wanted to do. Uh, they obviously, you know, they want Jared Walsh to play first base every day. I get that. Uh, and look, Pujols was hitting 200. Actually, I think he was hitting 198 uh, in 92 plate appearances before they let him go. And you know, since 2017, he's hit 240. All right, so I get it. All right, but at the same time, you know, uh. You're the one that decided you wanted to sign this guy to a huge contract. So you have, you know, so you only have yourself to blame. But I love the fact that he is going to play for the Dodgers. I think it's great. And obviously, he talked to the Dodgers. He knows it's going to be a part-time gig. Look, they've got Max Muncy at first base. You know, they've got a Cody Bellinger who can play first base as well. They've got, they don't need Albert Pujols to play first base. And there's no designated hitter in, uh, you know, the National League. Now, he obviously in interleague games, perfect. You throw him in as a DH. He presents a great bat off the bench because even though he has struggled, his batting average overall, Pujols is still hitting left-handers very, very well. So now he presents a very dangerous bat against left-handed pitchers off the bench. So I love this. I mean, it's great for the Dodgers. And look, they're paying him the, the major league minimum because the Angels have to pay the rest of it. So there's there's no downside here. And also for a Dodger team, you know, you've got a guy that is a great mentor. They still have a lot of young players on this team. You know, they have obviously the huge stars and, and everything, but they've got a lot of young players on this team. And to have a guy like Albert Pujols as a mentor in that clubhouse for a team that's already loaded, that's great. So good for him. Good for the Dodgers. It's a smart move for them. A lot of people wanted him to go to the Cardinals and finish out that way, and they thought the Cardinals should have. But, look, the Cardinals are in a, not in the same position the Dodgers are. The Cardinals are going to have to fight for their lives. And they, you know, like they've already got Paul Goldschmidt at first base. They didn't have room for Albert Pujols. The Dodgers have the luxury of being able to carry Pujols on the roster and not have to count on him other than pinch hitting and maybe to give a guy a day off. But, by and large, they had that luxury. The, the Cardinals do not. A lot of teams do not. Now, supposedly there were some other teams that reached out to him, but the, the Cardinals were not one of them. Uh, I suspect Cleveland might have been one of them, but this is a chance for Pujols to stay in his own home, in his house in Los Angeles, play for the Dodgers, and give the big middle finger to the Angels at the same time for playing against uh, a team that's just uh, a few miles away from the team you got released by. I love this. Absolutely love it. Now, the one thing that jumped to my mind, and I saw, I, I can't claim that I'm the first person that thought of this because it was on social media as well, but you have to wonder after what's happened to Pujols and you saw the Angels sucking up that money, is it going to be the same kind of thing coming down the road for a guy like, say, Miguel Cabrera in Detroit? Now, Detroit still has two years left on a huge contract that Cabrera signed. He's making a boatload of money, and he is producing not at all. Would, would Detroit be willing to bite the bullet in the same way? I, I, don't, 
I don't think so because I don't think Detroit's well, I know Detroit's pockets are not as deep as the Angels' pockets are, so they can't necessarily afford to do that. Miguel Cabrera had two hits yesterday, but he's still only hitting 158, or excuse me, 198. Um, no, he's not even, no, check that. He's hitting 187. I just double-checked. Two homers, 10 runs batted in. You know, he's got numbers that are even worse than what Albert Pujols had with the Angels. And if you look at what Cabrera has done, you know, he hasn't, his last couple of years have been brutal. Brutal. I mean, his last time he hit 300 in a full season was back in 2016. But since then, injuries have caught up to him, and it's been, it's been a grind. You know, he had 250 in the partial season last year. Uh, showed, you know, showed some form that maybe he was going to come back a little bit. In 2019, he didn't play a full year, but he still hit 280. So there's obviously, I think, a little bit more hope in Detroit that Cabrera's still going to be able to bounce back a little bit. But if you watch him, uh, you know, he he is a shadow of his former self. But so with Pujols going, you know, people have wondered whether Detroit would be willing. I just don't think they can afford to. I don't think they can afford to eat that contract unless you're going to bring up a rookie that you're going to pay, uh, you know, minor league minimum to. And is do they have anybody that can fill those shoes? My my guess would be no. But I just love the fact uh, that uh, Pujols is signing with the Dodgers. And, and those of you that, that are upset about it, get over it. One other thing that people need to get over. There's been a lot of talk the last few days uh, after reports came down that Tim Tebow, <laughs> the guy that, that seems to never go away, you know, couldn't make it in the NFL which as a quarterback, which is fine. I mean, not everybody can. Uh, went to try to play minor league baseball, you know, and, and people were pissed about that. He was given a chance to play minor league baseball. And you know what? He wasn't a total joke as a baseball player, but he wasn't going to make a major league roster, but he was a decent minor leaguer. I get it. Um, but now word has come down that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to sign him as a tight end. He is supposedly in incredible shape. Uh, he's obviously got the size to do it. And of course he has the long association with urban Meyer and that friendship with Meyer, um, led to him getting signed. Now Meyer claims that it was his assistant coaches that watched him work out and said, coach, this guy is pretty incredible. And, uh, he's in, you know, ridiculous shape and we think he deserves a chance and people are up in arms. I mean, it was a, a story I saw this morning that, uh, you know, Mike Tannenbaum, who was uh, the former New York Jets and Miami Dolphins general manager, said that, you know, them, the, that the Jaguars signing Tebow hurts Urban Meyer's credibility within the locker room and that it's a mistake and, you know, uh, he, he shouldn't be, you know, he shouldn't be doing this. It's a bad idea. You know, and that, he, that Tebow's getting preferential treatment, blah, 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 blah. Hey, look, number one, Urban Meyer's the head coach of the football team. He's got the right to do whatever he wants to do. Number two, we don't know that he's actually going to make the team. It just means that he's coming to training camp. He's going to get a chance to play in a couple of preseason games, and we're going to find out whether he can be helpful or not. And number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars stink. They're awful. Tebow is from the Florida, you know, is from Florida. 
the Jaguars need all the juice they can get to build up some excitement about that team. Obviously, with you know the number one draft pick, you know with Lawrence signing, and you know people are excited about that. And bringing Tebow back might put some butts in the seats and get some people more excited about Jaguars. So what? Good. What? A, you know why? Why are people so hung up on Tim Tebow? What did Tim Tebow ever do that was wrong that made people hate this guy? Somebody please explain that to me. You know, Tim Tebow is not a bad guy. Was he a, a great NFL quarterback? No, he wasn't. But again, as I said, he's not the only guy that's tried to make the NFL that's washed out. You know, he's not the only guy that's tried playing baseball and has not been able to cut it. Michael Jordan tried the same thing, remember? Michael Jordan did ki didn't get killed for trying it as much as Tim Tebow has. What did Tim Tebow ever do to make people hate him? Is it because he's uh, you know a Christian and because he knelt on the field, you know, and and struck a pose and you know and you know people that you people would emulate all the time because he it, looked and this guy not only talks the talk about being a Christian, he walks the walk. Tim Tebow is a guy that lives that kind of lifestyle. Look, unless there's something that we don't know, Tim Tebow is a guy that lives what he says he believes, at least as much as we can tell. He works with underprivileged kids. He works with kids with disabilities. He is, by all accounts, a great guy. So why do people hate this guy? Is it because he's a nice guy and we just want to rip everybody? You know, I, I don't get it. I I don't get it. And why shouldn't he get a chance to play for the Jaguars? If, if he can help them at all, at all, what the hell have they got to lose? You know, and, and, you know, some guy that might be, you know, coming out of college and is going to be pissed off that maybe could have been a backup tight end and Tim Tebow's got your job, get the hell over it. If he if he's not good enough and he and he you know it, it looks like a joke then I get it you know and then you could say well you know they're doing it as a publicity stunt and they're trying to put butts in the seats and for a team that's as bad as the Jaguars are there's nothing wrong with that either but I just don't understand why people hate this guy so much I don't I I wish somebody could explain it to me uh, one other NFL note before we uh, get to yesterday's baseball. It is looking increasingly as if the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson um, I guess that because it's not a criminal case and supposedly the police department was investigating but because it's these are civil lawsuits there is still a chance that these could be settled out of court. And word has come down that several of the women have reached out and Tony Busby, who's representing all these women, have reached out to Watson's attorneys and are saying that they would like to settle these and that perhaps there is some kind of movement that this could happen. Now, 
you know, look, if 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 this is true, you know, I have two thoughts. If this is true and he's going to settle all these, um, it makes me think it was a money grab to begin with, but it also upsets me because it also means that there probably there was something to this. If 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 Deshaun Watson is wi- is willing to settle these cases to make them go away, you don't do that. You don't settle twenty two civil lawsuits if there isn't some smoke where there is you know fire. You know that tells me that he did something wrong. That he did what these women have alleged. You know, and I look. They all the women have the right if they want to take the money and run. They have that right. But at the same time, it bothers me that they might be willing to settle these lawsuits for however much money to make it go away. There's no criminal case, so Deshaun Watson could skate after being a scumbag. That bothers me. And you know, the headline that I saw was well that that makes his 2021 return increasingly likely. I don't know about that because the one thing is is that we do know that the NFL will investigate this on their own, and they supposedly are already doing that. And the NFL has a morals clause where they can suspend guys uh, for doing things off the field that, you know, put a bad light on the NFL. And I think the NFL will hammer him. I don't think he will play in 2021 whether these lawsuits are settled out of court or not. I think the NFL, for its own reputation, and look, they've already got issues with a lot of guys that have been arrested for domestic violence, et cetera, et cetera. They will have to drop the hammer on Watson and suspend him for the 2021 season. So I don't, even even if these things, this, these sexual misconduct things are settled out of court, he's not. I don't think he plays this season. I could be wrong, but I would be very, very surprised. But it does bother me. Uh, and again, you know, th- these women, part of it, I'm sure with the women, it's kind of like, um, you know, in cases where women are raped and they don't want to come forward because they don't want to take, you know, the public humiliation and have, you know, the question these lawyers that will attack women, you know, on the stand, uh, that have been raped and, and try to call into question. Well, no, she really wanted it. I mean, I, I look, I can, I, I could understand any woman that wouldn't want to go through that. And so, you know, I can understand to a degree women not wanting to put themselves out there in a civil case and have to go through everything that happened all over again. Um, But at the same time, it bothers me that this guy could actually skate on this. But I I don't think I I don't think he'll play this year one way or the other, whether it's because he's in jail or whether it's because uh, the NFL drops the hammer on him. uh, I don't think he'll play. You know, and and I don't know, you know, the Houston Police Department was supposedly looking into the matter. Uh, but it, it whether it reaches the level for the Houston Police Department to criminally charge him, you have to get the women to be willing to stand up and say, yes, I'll testify. And if this, what we're seeing about the civil lawsuits is true, that becomes less and less likely. So it becomes less and less likely there will be criminal charges. But there certainly will be moral charges and moral accountability, I would think, by the NFL. Because if they drop the ball on this one, they have made a huge mistake.
All right, uh, let's shift gears to, uh, I was going to say happier news, and I guess it depends on your point of view. If you love the Boston Red Sox, yesterday was brutal. If you hate the Boston Red Sox, uh, you were uh, dancing in the streets yesterday. The Red Sox lost a tough one as the Angels come back in the ninth inning on a two-run homer by Shohei Otane to beat the Red Sox 6-5, and uh, it was a tough one. Look, at the end of the day for Boston, they won two out of three in the series. If the Red Sox win every series between now and the end of the season, they're not only going to go to the playoffs, they're probably going to to, uh, uh, to win the division. And uh, if you win every series between now and the end of the season, including the playoffs, you're going to be the World Series champion. So they won the series. If you're Boston, you've got to be happy about that. The standings have obviously tightened up because the Yankees have gotten hotter, the Jays and the Rays are playing better, and the Sox margin of error has dropped considerably. But again, at the end of the day, you'll take a series win every time. It's just that one yesterday hurt. And it hurt even more because it looked like the Red Sox had this game in the bank. Two outs in the ninth inning. Matt Barnes is pitching. He's facing Mike Trout, which scares the crap out of you to begin with. He gets Mike Trout to pop the ball up. Off the bat, I said, game over. I mean, I out loud said right to my wife, I said, game over. And I started to get up and... You know, we were going to go out to dinner, and I was ready to go up, take a shower, get changed, ready to roll. And no, the ball goes into the outfield about 200 feet away from home plate. It falls into the Bermuda Triangle between the second baseman, the center fielder, uh, or the second baseman, the right fielder, and the first baseman. Nobody can get it, and Trout's on in a bloop single. It was the only hit he had the entire series against the Red Sox. So then, obviously, you've got a lefty Otani who is – an incredible talent, comes up. First pitch he sees from Matt Barnes. Barnes throws him a fastball on the inner half of the plate. It was up. He didn't get it in far enough, and Otane just ripped it about 380 feet over the right field wall for a two-run blast. And uh, after the game, Otani said he felt like it was the most important home run he's hit in his career in Major League Baseball so far. Um, I mean, I... You know, it's, I mean, that's his opinion, and it may be because it's this is an Angel team that has been struggling mightily, and they're still five games under five hundred after that win yesterday, but it's a game that, uh, you know, maybe it's something that can propel, you know, the Angels into doing something. Uh, they've got a tough series with Cleveland coming up, but maybe they can try to build on that. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of drama, So, but a tough one. I mean, Matt Barnes – Blew his first save of the year, and it was one of those where, uh, you know, thought it was over. It didn't pitch badly. You know, you look in the box score and you say, well, inning on a third, two hits, two runs, you know, he must have pitched badly. He didn't. You know, uh, Adam Adovino did not pitch well. They brought him out in the eighth inning to try to get through the eighth, and they had to get him out of there. Gave up a hit and a walk and, and, and another ball that uh, – if not for a great catch by Marwin Gonzalez, would have been an extra base hit, and the Angels would have tied it in the eighth. And it was one of those where Alex Cora said, I got to get him out, and I got to get him out now, and went to get Barnes in the eighth inning, something he doesn't usually do, asked him to get four outs, and he got you know the out quickly in the eighth inning to get out of the eighth, and then gets the first two guys very easily in the ninth inning. And then the blue pit, and as I said, you know the rest is history. But a tough one. But again, if you're Boston... You know, you'll take it. You know, now, and the good news is Kike Hernandez is ready to come back from the injury. 
Uh, he had a grand slam and another home run in the game in Worcester yesterday. Um, you know, let's hope he can carry that over to Boston. So he's going to be coming back. That means either Michael Chavis or Jonathan Arauz will be heading back to Worcester. Uh, Chavis has hit 259 since coming up. He had a couple of hits yesterday, but man, he struck out three times yesterday and all on high cheese. He cannot lay off the high fastball. Just, you know, he can't left four guys on base yesterday. He was the guy coming up at the end of the game and, uh, you know, just looked bad. You know, and he looked bad in, you know, a couple of his first two at bats. He looked pathetic. Uh, there are some guys on this in this lineup that are anchors and the Red Sox, you know, we're going to have to figure that out. But Kike Hernandez is coming back. So either Chavis or Arauz goes. Uh, Christian Arroyo is going to start his rehab probably later in the week once he can swing without pain. He still has a lot of pain on the top of that hand. Uh, and then uh, Danny Santana is getting ready to come back as well. So we may see a lot of changes in this Red Sox lineup uh, coming up. Chavis and Arauz will definitely be gone when Arroyo and uh, Hernandez are back. Then Danny Santana comes back. You would think when that happens, Franchi Cordero will be uh, sent down to the minors to try to figure it out because he's been uh, a nightmare as well. So there's some help coming for this offensive lineup. As good as they've been, you know, and you think about it, I mean, thank God for Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Rafi Devers, or this team would be in big trouble. But now they'll have some other guys so that maybe you can't, you know, you get to the bottom of the lineup, there'll be guys that can actually hit the ball a little bit. Um, and, and then the Red Sox are going to have to figure out what to do with this bullpen. You know, right now, there aren't a lot of guys in this bullpen. I trust Matt Barnes. Yesterday aside, you know, I mean, he should have been out of that. That little bloop to Trout should have been the end of it. But outside of him and Garrett Whitlock and maybe Sawamura, I trust nobody in that bullpen. You know, Adovino is not getting swings and misses the way he has in the past. Left-handers are absolutely killing him. You know, he's you know he's been pretty good against the righties. That sweeping slider that he has is tough to hit, but he's not. Even that has been. Uh, so erratic that he's not getting the swings and misses that he has before. So, you know, there are, I mean, yesterday the Red Sox got Phillips Valdez and, and Josh Taylor to give him a couple of scoreless innings, and, you know, that was a miracle. But I don't I don't trust anybody outside of a couple of guys in that bullpen right now. That's an issue, and I don't know what the Red Sox are going to do about that. There's not like, it's not like they got guys sitting down in Worcester that are the answer. You know, they've got a few million dollars to play with. They may have to go out and try to make some kind of a move to get a dependable arm in that bullpen. I am really worried. Uh, you know, Adovino is not a train wreck, but he is a guy that is a pack of tums every time he, every time he comes into the games. You know, and you're asking him to get righties out, which is fine, but if he, you know, but if he has to face a lefty, you know, it's clinch time. No question about it. It's 33 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Um, so, huge series coming up for the Red Sox. They are off today, and then they head to Dunedin, Florida to play a series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Hinjin Ryu and Eduardo Rodriguez are going to face off on Tuesday night. It's actually going to be a rematch. These guys faced off earlier this season, and the Red Sox knocked Ryu out of the game, I think, in the fourth inning. But this is a big one. Look, Boston's schedule uh, gets much more difficult from here on out. 
Um, they have made hay against Baltimore and, you know, Detroit, you know, and, and did well against these lower echelon teams. Um, but they are going to be facing a series of teams that are in the middle of things. And the Red Sox are going to have to step up, and it's going to start uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Erod is five and one. He hasn't been great his last couple of times out. He is uh, has not had great stuff, um, and uh, it showed. And the Jays, on the other hand, are red hot. They have won seven of the last ten, two in a row. Um, they just beat the Phillies yesterday, eight. Uh, excuse me, ten to eight. And they are hitting the crap out of the ball. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is hitting 318 this year. He hit another home run yesterday. It was his 11th of the season. He had three more runs batted in. Uh, he's driven in, uh, what, I think 30 runs this year? You know, I mean, he has uh, transformed his body a little bit, and he looks so much quicker at the plate. And he looks like the guy they thought they were going to get. And, of course, Bo Bichette uh, is starting to heat up. He's hitting 275. Marcus Semyon has been great. He had three more hits yesterday. What a great signing he was, getting him away from uh, the Oakland Athletics. Um, Randall Grichik has played well. I mean, this team is very, very dangerous. And they've got some guys that you expect something out of. <coughs> Excuse me. That have not performed very well. Uh, so far this season, but they are a dangerous team and they are a hot team right now. So um, it's going to be an interesting three game series down in the heat, down in Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, the Red Sox have their starters have been great. Now, Evaldi wasn't fantastic yesterday, but the Red Sox starter ERA right now is around 3.8, which is in the top third. Actually, it's in the top, about the top 10% of starting staffs in Major League Baseball. And if you had told me that was going to be the case before the season started, I would have wanted some of what you were smoking. Uh, but Robbie Ray picked up the win for the Blue Jays yesterday, uh, pitched into the sixth. He wasn't great, but with that offensive lineup that the uh, the uh, Jays are throwing out there, it was good enough. So uh, Red Sox are a game and a half ahead of Toronto. You lose this series you leave Florida, you are no longer in first place. Matter of fact, if you lose this series, you could go from first to uh, to fourth in this division that fast, the way the rest of these other teams are playing right now. Now, the Yankees lost yesterday. The Orioles did the Red Sox a favor uh, coming back to beat the Yankees. The Yankees had uh, a couple of big leads in this game. They had a 4 nothing lead after one. Uh, they led 5-2 after three, and both times Baltimore came back and uh, ended up winning this one uh, 10 to 6. Great job out of the bullpen yesterday by Bruce Zimmerman. He re relieved Adam Pletko. Pletko gave up four in the first. Well, Zimmerman came on and pitched five and two thirds out of the bullpen, gave up just two hits and a run. And uh, the bullpen did the, uh, the job the rest of the way. Uh, Jordan Montgomery was not great for the Yankees yesterday. But the Yankees, again, they're only two back, they've won six of 10. Aaron Judge is hotter than a firecracker. Another home run yesterday. Uh, he's got 12. Gary Sanchez hit another home run yesterday. Uh, he's still not hitting well, but he is hitting for power. He's got homers, I think, in two straight games. Uh, Clint Frazier with a, uh, a home run as well yesterday. And a great 
defensive play in right field, a diving catch out in right field. And uh, Clint Frazier is never going to be uh, confused with somebody who's a great defensive outfielder, uh, but he made a great play in the game yesterday. And then along with that, the Red Sox have to worry about the Rays. The Tampa Rays just swept the New York Mets for the first time in their history. They've played 10 series against the Mets in their history, and they'd never swept them before. Well, they did yesterday, and they did it in handy fashion, uh, 7-1. to one. And uh, the Mets had just two hits in this game. And Josh Fleming got the start for Tampa, pitched five one-hit innings, didn't walk anybody, struck out five, and then that nasty uh, uh, Tampa bullpen, four innings, just one hit. Marcus Stroman gave up three home runs in six innings yesterday. He ends up giving up five hits, or excuse me, five runs and six hits. And the Mets that just, not, you know, not long ago were looking like uh, they were going to kind of run away and hide in the NL East now have lost three in a row. And uh, the Phillies are a ga- uh, half a game behind. Atlanta, despite being two games under 500, only two games back. Uh, so things have gotten a little bit uncomfortable for the Mets. Uh, they're hoping to get Jacob DeGrom back for a start maybe by the weekend. Uh, but he's going to throw a bullpen session tomorrow before they determine whether he's going to be ready to return to that uh, lineup or not. And the Mets need him. And because they've got a huge series coming up as well, the Atlanta Braves um, in Atlanta, a three-game series. Taiwan Walker, who's been great for the Mets, will get the opening day uh, start in that series. Max Fried, who was very good his last time out, had been awful before that, but pitched well his last time out, will get the start against the Mets in that one. So, uh, I don't know. I, I still think the Mets are the team to beat in that division. I still do. With all the moves that they made, and they're going to get Noah Syndergaard back next month. You know, with with everybody else, if if Degrom can stay healthy, if the issues that he's having with that side don't continue to crop up the rest of the season, uh, I still think the Mets are the team to beat. Uh, shift gears for a second. The Celtics in their season finale yesterday played nobody. Uh, all their regular starters, uh, regular position players, all took the day off. They end up losing to the Knicks 96-92. They actually did the Knicks a favor uh, because by resting everybody, that win allowed the Knicks to secure home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. They end up as the number four seed in the upcoming playoffs. So the uh, the Celtics actually did them a favor. Uh, with the loss, the Celtics fin- finished the regular season at 500. I mean, this is a team that was two wins away uh, of the NBA Finals last year. And now they're in the play-in. They have to play a one-game series against the Washington Wizards on Tuesday night, 9 o'clock. The winner will be the number seven seed in the playoffs and have to take on, uh, I believe, the New Jersey Nets or the Brooklyn Nets, excuse me. And and then the loser will face the winner of the other play-in game between the the Pacers and the Hornets to determine who the number eight seed is. So if the Celtics win, they get the Nets. Uh, and if they uh, lose, they get the Bucks. So that's where we're at as far as the Celtics go. Um, the Lakers are also in the play-in. 
And they may be. This may be the first time that a lower seed, if LeBron James is healthy, and boy, if you watch the highlights from the game yesterday, he looked pretty good. Uh, if he stays healthy, nobody wants to play them. Can you imagine that? If you could be the the number one, you could be the Utah Jazz, the number one seed, and see the Lakers coming in as the eight seed. And it might be the first time in the history of the NBA that a number eight seed is going to be a fa- a favorite to knock off the number one seed. Uh, in the NBA playoffs. It, it could happen. It could absolutely happen. Um, the Bruins lost their first uh, playoff game over the weekend. In overtime, the Capitals beat them. T.J. Oshie um, with the overtime goal that beat Tuka Rask. Uh, tough loss. Bruins did not play especially well. They got out shot in the game. They got out hustled in the game, and they got out hit in the game. The, the Capitals just... Uh, physically battered them and the other part was and it was really one of those uh, uh tom wilson scored the first goal of the game for the capitals of all people the goon himself scores a goal and it just drives you know drove drove bruins fans nuts but they will play tonight game two of that series um the bruins need this one tonight they need to get one before they head back to boston and split those first two games in washington uh a couple more overtime games yesterday we saw the vegas uh, ends up losing one nothing to the Minnesota Wild in overtime yesterday. That was a great game. And then how about this one yesterday? Uh, what a goal by Kyle Palmieri as the New York Islanders beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in game one. If you haven't seen this, uh, go on to your favorite sports site and, and look up the highlights from this game and look at the goal that Palmieri scored in overtime. He beat the goaltender Honest to God, he beat him on the short side. The goalie was set up to stop it. There was about two inches between the goaltender's shoulders and the top of the crossbar, or the bottom of the crossbar. And he somehow, Kyle Palmer, he fired the puck. It went off the goaltender's shoulder, off his mask, and went in that two-inch hole through underneath the crossbar. And the Islanders end up upsetting the Penguins in game one of that series in Pittsburgh. And, uh, man, talk about a place going silent in a hurry. Uh, but that was a heck of a goal. It's one of the best goals you're ever going to see. Uh, I know there's been some pretty ones. You know, you see those one-timers to a wide-open net, you know, great passing. Something like this when the goaltender's in position and he's done everything right and Palmieri still beat him. Uh, unbelievable. But a lot of intense play uh, in the NHL playoffs over the weekend, which is why I love the NHL playoffs. It is the best. 47 minutes past the hour. we got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a uh, Monday morning. Um, one other basketball note. Uh, it's, if you watched, uh, I don't know if you watched the whole thing, but uh, I'm sure you saw clips of the NBA Hall of Fame induction this weekend. What a moving speech uh, by Vanessa Bryant. Uh, I thought she did a great job of holding it together uh, as Kobe was officially inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Um I just uh, I admire the strength that she has shown through this whole thing. And one of the things that I loved, one of the comments that she made yesterday, and one of the things that Kobe had said to her, and I, I thought, you know, and this is part I think, uh, you know, people saw the public persona of of Kobe, and they didn't necessarily see the stuff behind the scenes. But this spoke a lot, I think, to who he was, and uh, I, I love the fact that she shared this and talked about. You know, how when he was injured that there were times that he probably shouldn't have played, you know, and that he was encouraged not to play. 
And Vanessa relayed the story of how he said to her, but what about, you know, the person that has saved up, you know, to watch me play for, you know, the only time they're ever going to get a chance to see me. They've saved up money to watch a Laker game and they're expecting me to play. What about that guy or that kid or whoever? You know, and I just I just thought that said a lot for him. So uh, uh, a great speech. Kevin Garnett gave a great speech as well. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, Tim Duncan uh, also. I mean, I just thought that the, the speeches were very poignant, very well done. And uh, right after that, the NBA has already announced the team, uh, the uh, Hall of Fame class for next year. Uh, and uh, Paul Pierce as expected, will be heading into the Hall of Fame along with uh, Chris Bosh. Chris Webber gets in. I kind of was surprised by that one. And Jay Wright, the uh, coach at Villanova, gets in. And also, this is cool. Uh, Bill Russell is going into the Hall of Fame for a second time. Uh, He was enshrined as a player back in 1975. He becomes the fifth Hall of Famer to be inducted as both a player and a coach. So that's pretty cool. So Bill Russell going into the Hall of Fame a second time. So that'll be uh, that'll be a fun speech to watch uh, next year. Uh, the PGA Tour, K.H. Lee got his first victory uh, on the PGA Tour yesterday. He won the AT&T Byron Nelson. Uh, I mean, he was uh, in the 60s every round, uh, fired a last round 66. Jordan Spieth, who's in the running, you know, this is kind of his home course. He wanted to do well. Uh, kind of coughed up though a little bit on the last day, shot a 71. He ends up finishing uh, three strokes back, tied for ninth place with a uh, uh, not a great finish. Uh, Sam Burns finished three strokes behind K.H. Lee in second place. NASCAR yesterday, Alex Bowman picked up his second victory of the season. Um, and how about Hendrick Motorsports finished one, two, three, four in this race? <laughs> I think it's only the fourth time uh, that has happened uh, in NASCAR Cup Series history. That's unbelievable. Or no, actually, it's the first time that it's been all four. I think four times uh, they've gotten one, two, three. But the first time that the top four teams have all been swept by a single team. So a uh, heck of a day for Hendrick Motorsports. Joey Logano from Middletown uh, finished fifth. Uh, so And a solid race for Joey. He was uh, kind of running 12th, 13th most of the race and uh, made a good uh, push the last 100 laps to get himself up into uh, fifth place. So uh, uh, that's where we're at as far as NASCAR goes. Um, a couple other notes. Uh, the White Sox with another win yesterday. They beat the Kansas City Royals 4-3. to How about the White Sox? The White Sox have not lost consecutive games in a month. The last time they lost consecutive games was uh, April 15th to the 17th when they lost three in a row. Since then, uh, they haven't lost back-to-back games. That's pretty impressive. Uh, which is why they are now nine games over 500. Uh, they are the only team in the American League that have a winning percentage over 600. The Red Sox are at uh, 595, and that's but that's why they've won eight of ten uh, as they beat the uh, Royals yesterday. The Royals uh, had gotten a game from Chicago on Saturday, which was uh, nice for them because they have been really struggling. They've still lost eight out of the last ten. Uh, and went from first place to being six and a half back. Uh, the Dodgers lose yesterday. They lose to the Marlins three to two. We already mentioned that uh, you know Albert Pujols is coming. He's not going to be the answer as the Dodgers try to 
uh, fight their way back to the top. And the San Francisco Giants are not making it easy. The Dodgers are only two back, but every time you, you keep expecting the Giants to stumble and they keep winning, they are now eight games over 500. They beat the Pirates yesterday 4-1. to one. Uh, Adam Duvall, uh, excuse me, uh, Mike Yastrzemski with a big two-run home run to cement things in the ninth inning that pushed a 2-1 game to 4-1 to one and uh, put it out of reach. Uh, Yastrzemski is a guy that has been dealing with a lot of injuries, has missed a lot of time. Uh, he's got an, some, an issue with his side kind of the same way that uh, uh, Jacob DeGrom has been fighting it, but a, a big home run for Yastrzemski. I still love being able to stay Yastrzemski uh, in a major league game. Um, Alex Wood, another strong start for San Francisco, pushed his record to 5-0. and He is the first Giants pitcher to start the season 5-0 and since Barry Zito did it all the way back in 2010. So it has been uh, a long, long time. And how about the San Diego Padres? Remember we talked last week, everybody going on the COVID list, they lost like five guys, uh, all of them starters, Fernando Tatis and uh, Will Myers and Eric Hosmer, and everybody's like, oh, my God, the sky is falling. Well, how about since that happened, the Padres went 6-1. and one. They used a bunch of guys from their El Paso team yesterday, uh, some guys that hadn't appeared in Major League Baseball in a few years, and they beat the St. Louis Cardinals on uh, Sunday Night Baseball last night, 5-3. to three. Uh, Denilson Lamette, a guy who is still coming back from an injury, came out of the bullpen, pitched two solid innings. He ends up getting the win. Mark Melanson picked up his league-leading, or major league-leading, I should say, four, uh, 14th save last night. Uh, has an ERA of 0.96. And the Padres just continue to get it done, even without Fernando Tatis and Eric Hosmer. It's unbelievable. Uh, talk about a team that's having some fun right now. Uh, they are a half a game behind the San Francisco Giants, and uh, they sit just ahead of the Dodgers in the National League West. That's going to do it for us here this morning. I'm planning to be here tomorrow. My, we had a major uh, plumbing leak over the weekend. One of our cast iron pipes, this house was built in the 40s. One of our cast iron pipes let go over the weekend. Uh, so I have no sink, no dishwasher. It's a lot of fun. Uh, i got a plumber coming tomorrow morning. Uh, hopefully it'll be after the show so we don't have a lot of banging. But I'm planning to be here tomorrow morning, um, and uh, hopefully we can get the uh, the plumbing taken care of. It's unbelievable. If it was something simple, I could have done it. But when we were talking cast iron pipe, I said, okay, it's time, time to call the pros. Uh, we leave you this morning with some music from Chase Beckham. Chase Beckham is a young man who is on American Idol right now, and uh, I have really enjoyed watching him. This is a new single he put out. It's a song that he wrote. It's called 23. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.